0: All right, KISS Army, you wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes, you're
1: about to be podcasting. Hello and welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller.
0: And this is James Hager.
1: And I'm Ken Mills. And here we are at podcast headquarters. We've got three microphones. They're a little wonky, but we'll see what we can do. And this is our 30th podcast, and can you guys believe that? It's hard to believe.
2: It's absolutely
1: incredible. 30 years, 30 shows, and we thank everyone for sticking with us. And tonight we've got a great show. We're expecting a very special guest who may drop by. We have members
3: of the weirdest Kiss tribute band alive, and that is Clown. They're going to be stopping by.
1: That's right, and they're here to tell us about their new album, Clown Alive 2, which is a great record, a very cool tribute to Kiss. And uh, they're also going to tell us about... Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute! Did you did you guys hear something? Yes. What was that? I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, to kick off the show tonight, we've got two very cool historic interviews. And Ferk, you were saying that maybe the listeners could uh, benefit from a little disclaimer about these interviews.
2: Yes, we have uh, interviews with original members of the Kiss road crew, J.R. Smalling and Mick Campisi. Um These guys were with Kiss when they were just an up-and-coming band from New York City. And they've got some really cool, exclusive stories about the early days of Kiss that you won't find anywhere else. These are their stories, told by the people that lived them.
1: Right. And when we did these interviews, we knew that some of the things that Jr. and Mick might say uh, could raise a few eyebrows, you know, cause a bit of controversy. But try to keep in mind that these are their stories, and this is how they saw it. And that's what we're here to deliver. You know, we want to celebrate history with the people who made it happen. So we're giving this stuff to you uncut because we think that our listeners deserve it. To... Uh, you guys did hear that, didn't you? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know what that was, dude. It's, it's freaking me out a little bit.
1: Well, anyway, let's keep rocking with our exclusive podcast interviews and we'll start with the guy who created the most legendary intro in rock history and the first voice that you hear when you put on Kiss Alive.
4: All right, Kiss fans, you wanted the best and you got it the hottest
2: show on the net
3: podcast perfect first time out there you go dude wow you and ace freely are the only two people that could get that word right the first time (laughs) (laughs) i love it right now the voice of alive is talking to me there you go it's amazing i'm happy to be doing so oh and we are definitely happy to have you here um Anybody that really understands a little bit about KISS, the early days, you're a man whose name keeps coming up time and time again. Uh, the reason for your appearance on the show today is you're going to be doing the rock and roll carnival with the band Clown. Uh, right. Are you looking forward to that? Most definitely, sure. uh, uh love
2: Charlotte and um, would love to be uh, you know, associated with the event. So I uh, got the call and, uh, Nick and I'll be down there for sure. You played
3: drums on the demo of God of Thunder,
2: correct? I pl- I played drums actually on fifteen tracks. One of which was God of Thunder. Uh I'm the first drummer to ever play uh, Detroit Rock City. Uh I played on uh what would later become Doctor Love. Uh a bunch of st- a bunch of different tracks.
3: Wow. But you never got to wear the makeup. Uh
2: no, no. Um <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm not really a glam kind of guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know? <laughs> do you do you have any memories of recording those demos? Sure, of course sure sure uh, the, how that all came about was uh you're
2: probably aware that in the early going uh the group did a lot of one night shows uh barns walking across the country and back again and uh after a particular tour uh the group was uh, promised, and the crew was promised you know a, a month off or so and really take some some personal time. We got back to the city, and everybody went their separate ways. Peter went on vacation, and and he was quickly out of the scene, temporarily, of course. A call came in within a day or two of being back that um, there was an opportunity or a possibility to work with Bob Ezra, who, as you probably know, was the producer of Destroyer and had produced uh, uh, Alice Cooper and a bunch of other huge bands before them.
3: Excellent uh, but, producer.
2: Bob is great. Bob is great. He's a great guy. But um, the thing was that before Bob would even consider working with the band, he wanted to hear some demos of the material that was supposed to be uh, put on this, on this new album. Peter was gone. Like I said, he was unreachable. The band knew that I had played drums uh, previously. Uh, years before that, I actually played at Carnegie Hall. one time. that's a that's a funny story in itself. I played drums at the first Marvel comic books convention behind Stan Lee. <laughs> wow! <laughs> at, at Carnegie Hall, yeah, it was, it was a blast. I can I can honestly say that I I performed at Carnegie Hall. In the
0: film.
2: Well, you know, it, it was an interesting thing. Uh, uh-huh. It was a, it was a basic blues riff, and uh, you know, Stan got up there and uh, read uh, some of the
3: copies from from his first Spider-Man comic and, uh, you know, just passed behind him. And it was cool. It was, it was and, very long... and basically, you guys were playing like a blues shuffle behind him. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So, he was basically doing beatnik poetry with Spidey. There you go. I, I come to you hall, can you believe it? <laughs> that is so surreal. A lot of people can say that they worked on Kiss demos, but mm-hmm. not many people can say that they were in a band with Stan Lee. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I don't want to digress here too much, but,
2: a couple of years back, when, when Pope Benedict came to New York, uh, he did an event uh, that was held in uh, St. John's uh, St. Joseph's Seminary up in Westchester. Uh, it was an outdoor event called Papal Youth Rally. It was 35,000 people we had Kelly Clarkson. We had a bunch of Christian Christian rock bands, 18 bishops, you know, 100 107 cardinals, or however that goes, and the Pope. And I was the stage manager and talent coordinator for that on 23 groups between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., and we got off on high, wow. and yeah, and I really wanted to do that because I wanted to be able to tell everybody that I'm the only guy in the world that ever works for KISS and the
3: Pope.
2: Now, how did you get
3: involved with KISS?
2: I was uh, working uh, out of a uh, rehearsal studio in New York. It was called Baggies. And uh, Baggies in New York is the place where all of uh, the main bands, uh, American bands, as well as bands coming over from Europe, um, that's where they all put their shows together. I was working there. I worked for a bunch of groups. I worked for Dave Mason, Traffic. I was around when uh, Edgar Winter put together uh, uh, the band with Rick Anger and uh, and, and the folks that are doing Frankenstein and songs like that. And I've um, been working there for a year or two. Richie Wines, the co-producer of the first three albums, along with uh, uh, Kenny Turner. Yes. Yeah. Those guys, um, Richie was in a band called Dust uh, before that, many years before that. And I was in a band called Bobbery Small. They all were of my mother's basement in Brooklyn. So uh, we, gave, we, we had a great friendship and grew up in the same neighborhood. That's actually featured, I don't know if you're familiar with the band, but they featured uh, uh, a drummer uh-huh. named Mark Bell, which later went on to become Marky Ramone. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, Kenny Aronson, a tremendous bass player. Yeah. He later went on to play with Bob Dylan and a bunch of other folks. And My mom's place was like the clubhouse. So uh, fast forward to uh, to me working with davie's and, and Kenny and Richie um, producing the first uh, Kiss album. And uh, I get a call from from, from, uh, from Richie. Hey, man, there's a good group that I'm working with right now. They're getting ready. They're going to be huge. So they want you to come down and check out one of their rehearsals, see what you like, and see if you like them, says, because they can use somebody with your talents and your and, and skills. So I said, sure, what the hell? You know, I, I went down. And, uh, honestly, the group blew me away. It blew me away. It blew everyone away. And uh, met with Phil O'Coy, and uh, we had a good report going. And uh, within, I guess, seven days, I was <laughs> I was signed on and then and, and ready to go.
3: And you had joined the original KISS Army before it was an army. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I was a recruit before <laughs> it was an army. Because you guys, you guys weren't necessarily bands. You guys were a pack of rats. You guys hung together all the time, from what I understand. It, it wasn't it wasn't just a band. It, you guys did what you had to do to survive and uh, make it happen. And everything went back into the show. Am I correct? Sure, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. We, we were considering that the uh, show, for all intents and purposes, really hasn't changed in the last 30 years or so. Those of us in the original world who are really proud to know that uh, the, the work that the three of us did uh, is still being done today now by a much, much larger staff because you know? everything's bigger now. But the basic elements are the same, you know, the fog and the spitting fire and the bomb and the levitating drums and, and, and all that good stuff. We're, we're really proud that we have to pioneer that stuff. And, and you're right because uh, the guys, we look at, at, at KISS as, as more than working for a band because everybody in the crew were, we're musicians anyway we looked out, we looked out for the bag. I mean, we, we we were security, we were truck drivers, we were the pyrotechnicians, we did the wardrobe, we did everything, you know, and, uh, and we really, we watched the band's back because, hey, they're New Yorkers, they're New Yorkers, and, you know, when you're a thousand miles from home and not necessarily in a friendly environment,
3: you know, everybody's got to look out for everybody else, so we, we were happy to do that. So more a gang than a band. Pretty much so, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because I'm
2: I'm 6'2 and a half. Moose Peter Ortega, who was a pilot technician and sound man and everything else, he was a big guy too. He's about 6'1, 6'2. Ex wrestler, college wrestler, so big, beefy guy. When we rolled into a gig, you know, in denim and leather, and, you know, four inch platforms, uh, you
3: know, people saw us coming, and it it, it, was, it, was, it was probably uh, very intimidating. It was meant to be. <laughs> now, um, how soon did the band decide to hide their faces from the press, and were there any funny moments that stand out as far as them being seen or photographed?
2: Uh, I'm proud
3: to say that they never got a photo of the band without makeup while I was on tour with them. Here
2: again, you know, the, the look of, of the people surrounding them were pretty intimidating, I guess, you know, although we're all sweetheart of a guy. <laughs> No, I mean, when, when we walked into a, a press conference or uh, when, we, when we walked out in front of them and there said no cameras, so uh, cameras went away. Very proud of that, shot. We were able to, to, to do that without damaging any cameras or any
3: bodies for that matter. Are there any songs that the band had done that never made it to any of the albums? Oh, I'm sure there are plenty of them. I'm sure there are plenty of them. Are there any titles that stand out? Mm, no. No, to be honest with you.
2: When you're when you're doing 200 one nighters a year and uh, uh, running around the country, you know it's pretty much two out of every three days the group is on stage, and that third day the crew is actually uh, driving to get there, or they're in the studio, you know, recording stuff. So, like we were talking about previously, those 15 tracks that I played on,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, some of them uh, were released. In the format that they were intended, like Beast Rock City, for example. Uh, the original God of Thunder was was a much more up tempo kind of take on that particular track. Other songs, you know, got cut and pasted with other songs, and, you know, that's how things develop a lot of
3: times. So basically, they would cannibalize them until there was nothing left of them. Well, yeah. Th- they, I they would that's... become other songs. Exactly, yeah. And I, and I think that's pretty standard for,
2: for a lot of groups.
3: Mm hmm. Now, did they write a lot together in the early days, or was everything uh, done on the road, catch-as-catch-can kind of a thing? Or
2: Everything was separate. Everything was separate. Paul wrote his stuff. Gene wrote his stuff. Um, Ace, uh, at the time, uh, hadn't really uh, blossomed into his writing career yet, but uh, he had some lifts. I mean, Cole Jim was his, obviously, and there were a couple of others. Paul was the real prolific writer. And,
3: um, and after him, I get to a PGA, for sure. Um, how early did you know that this concept was going to work, that it was going to be something that was going to be big?
2: Well, I knew it right away. The first time I saw them, before I even started working for them. Uh, and that's why it was exciting for me to get involved, because I knew I was going to be able to contribute to something that, that would be
3: lasting. You know? Was um, there any one moment where you like realized, they're they're no longer going to be this gang, but bang, they're going to explode?
2: Um, I would say that that uh, the uh, Detroit gig for the Alive album was recorded, for sure. That was, that was it. Detroit had kind of uh, adopted uh, uh, KISS as, as their own. And as far as the band was concerned, Detroit was the best uh, place to be if, rather than New York. They worked their way through the ranks, uh, some club dates, some small theater gigs, you know, up and up and up until finally, uh, you know, they opened up. I, I can't remember who they opened up for in, in Detroit a couple of times, but when they actually headlined uh, uh, that Detroit, those Detroit gigs, and uh, you look at the age for, you know, 15,000 people, they're all, they just for KISS. It uh, pretty much starts telling the tail I guess.
3: Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing currently. I understand you're managing some bands? I'm managing some bands
2: now, yeah, yeah. Uh since kids
3: I've, i I did
2: a lot of different stuff. I, I was fortunate enough to uh to uh, work with a management company and immediately after leaving kids a, c- a company called Weaver Krebs, who at the time managed Aerosmith and Ted Nugent A C D C and the Scorpions and Golden Earring and Parliament's Arcadella George Clinton, things like that. So so I, I, I was fortunate, like I said, to work uh tour merchandising for Aerosmith poor accountant for Ted Nugent, poor manager for, for George Clinton, and, and got a, a, a real good feel for other areas of, of the live uh, performing side of things other than just the stage. After that, I moved on. I worked for a lot of different bands,
3: Dr. John and, and, and just some, some great, great people, Ray Charles. So you basically could write a entire book, not just of Kiss, but of... Some of the most influential musical acts of the 70s.
2: Well,
3: some could say that. <laughs> wow, that's, that's right. amazing. Yeah, the was fortunate enough to, yeah, fortunate
2: enough to uh, work for the Jacksons in 1984, the last time wow. Michael, that's his Soul, played with his, his family on stage. Worked with uh, uh, Harry Belafonte, managed his company for a year, and you know, a worldwide tour with him. And uh, then wound up uh, promoting some concerts, did some shows down in Cayman Islands. Maxi Priest and Third World and that whole reggae vibe. Uh, then joined up with a uh, Japanese concert promoter and did a bunch of uh, concert tours, uh, promotion-wise,
3: in Japan. Are you still in touch with any of the members of KISS? No, not really. Okay. Not, not really. I uh, I saw Gene a couple of years ago. He came to New York for
2: a book signing. And it was funny. Nick and I kind of just showed up, and he's signing the book. And he looks up and he saw us, and his eyes got really big, you know, oh, ah. We didn't really know how we were going to react, but uh, it was cool. It was cool. You know, everybody was cordial and, and that was that. Uh, did, uh, uh, uh Aces gig, uh, he did a gig in you know, ps Theater here in New York a couple of years ago and saw the band, they were a great band, uh, went backstage and hung out with him for a while. He was, uh, he was amazed to see us. And I think he was amazing he was still alive. <laughs> yeah. That
3: everybody survived.
2: Exactly, exactly, yeah. But, uh, no, you know, uh, it, 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 things happen and, and 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 things just apply. You know, like I said in the early going, when we were much more needed to be close at hand, and that's where we were. But as things happen, and you know, people uh, move on and do other things. You did mention uh, uh, a couple of the groups that I'm I'm managing. I just wanted to get the names out there. Oh, definitely, said, definitely, they'd be huge. There is a, uh, a metal band called. Mahavatar, M-A-H-A-V-A-T-A-R, Mahavatar. Mahavatar. They are, they are crazy. Matter of fact, we're getting ready to uh, to go up to a major label today and uh, try to move forward on the American negotiations for their album. But they are fronted by a a heavy, heavy metal goddess. This woman, uh, is she she growls like a man, and she sings like an angel. So she, Wow. Yeah, it's a real, real different thing. And I'm sure that anybody that likes KISS will love this band. They're crazy. There's another group called Nomad Super Highway. This is a three-piece, a power trio from Philadelphia. These guys are just killing it. Very, very hard rock, harkening back to the days of the 70s, trying to, trying to revive the the real days of hard rock, and, and and not so much what we have
3: today, but the, the, the real glory days of hard rock. So I want to thank you for your time, and this 20 minutes zoomed right by. <laughs> Someday we want to do a show just on you, okay? We wanna we wanna really explore what it was like to be you in that scene back in that time, and we want to really get in there and uh, get into the encyclopedia that is J R Smalling. <laughs> Give me a call, man. I'm ready anytime. Okay, excellent. Now I, I noticed, uh, if if I remember correctly, I think you took your son to the Gene Simmons book signing. Am I correct? Most definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I I had to get a kick out of that because there's a picture of you and Gene, and Gene's like looking at your son, like I can't believe this is. You can see it in Gene's eyes. He's 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 like. Like a the proud papa kind of look, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate. My son is uh, extremely
2: gifted musically. He plays uh, classical piano, uh, drums, guitar,
3: and bass. And um, he's, he's, so he takes he, over after the old man, huh?
2: Well, yeah. He's better than me, to be honest.
3: Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was it good
2: to have a meet
3: meet with for sure. Well, it's it's fantastic to talk to you, and uh, I know that the folks at the Charlotte Rock and Roll Expo are going to be uh, enthralled with many of your tales of the early days of Kiss. <laughs> We've got a lot of them, man. looking forward to seeing you
1: guys. Big thanks to J.R. Smalling, and now here's our exclusive interview with Mick Campisi.
3: I want to tell you, as a lifelong Kiss fan, it's an honor to talk to you. Well, thank and, you very uh, much. So, um, have you done many expos?
5: No, actually, I've only done one, and I was talked into that by Sean Delaney, our um he was the, the co-management and taught them all the choreography and the whole thing. Uh, people that know KISS know of Sean. And uh, Sean was here in Boston and it must've been around 94, 95. Dead of winter, I had a severe head cold, and he kept trying to talk me out there to, to the expo. And so finally um, I drove out there that Sunday he participated, I just kinda of sat in and took everything in because at that point I was the first one that I'd seen and they were just getting started. It just blew my mind that at that point in time it was twenty years after the fact and this thing was breathing life again. It was uh, it was really a strange moment. But uh, you know, I kinda of took myself out of it and then when the guys um uh, and clown contacted me about this project um, yeah, Jr. and I were both in. That was a good thing out of it. So to answer the question, being on the panel and whatnot, this is really the first time at wow. this expo.
3: Well, it's going to be great to hear uh, everybody ask you all the questions and see what all comes out. It's going to be very exciting. let's let's talk a little bit about your personal history how did you get involved with the band
5: okay originally um i was in new york after i graduated from college moved to new york and i was working for a band from houston my hometown and they were the backup band for johnny nash i can see clearly now and all that obviously that was just to pay the rent we had a guy that we grew up with plays with the Who now. He's been with the Who for, God, the last 30 years. Rabbit, John Bundrick. Rabbit got with these other two friends of mine that was down in an acid backup band. They became, they took Paul Kosoff from the band Free. Kosoff died on the airplane from L.A. to New York, so their band, Backstreet Crawler, dissolved. And it, came back as Crawler. And I was working for them, but they were all moving to London. And the management office tell me, look, there's a new band. We're getting ready to sign them. They have no records out yet. They have no tours. They haven't done anything, but they're putting together a Cracker Jack road crew. Would you like to go in for an interview as road manager? Well, went into the office. They had a cover of the album that was getting ready to be released and I went, Oh great, this is all I need The babysit four New York rock and rollers who, uh, you know, are gonna try to push their way around and get everything that they want. I said, I don't wanna be responsible for those guys So he said, Well how about on the road crew? I said, Okay, let's let's see what it does. They played the album for me I kind of liked it. They had some good points in it. And then they said, um, we're playing Passaic, New Jersey this weekend, and then Mike Douglas show on Monday. Come out to Passaic. If you like what you see, we'll have a meeting. We'll put all the offers on the table, and we'll be done with it. So went to see them, and they blew me away. They absolutely blew me away. They were the most high-energy band I'd ever seen outside of Grand Funk Railroad. Now, you have to remember, this is 1973, late 1973. After the gig, they had this uh, reception room. I walked in. There must have been 300 women, girls, in this room with um, the band, a couple of guys from management, and the road crew. Just having like a (laughs) semi-argy. And I said, okay, rock and roll, let's do it. So I went to um, that Monday went to Philadelphia. We did the Mike Douglas show. That was my introduction, and that's how I got on the road crew with Kiss. We went through several inclinations of the, what we call the original road crew, because it's like with a band or anything else, when you're living with someone 24 hours a day, you have to have You have to be focused. You have to do everything that's asked of you. In fact, it shouldn't even be asked. You know you have to drive 500 miles after the show tonight, so get your ass in gear, do what you got to do. If you have time to take a shower at the gig, that's great. But the places we were playing were not arenas and stadiums. They were little theaters, you know, that didn't have showers. But anyway, it worked its way down to five of us. And all five of us were like brothers. We got along famously, and we're all still friends 35, 36 years later. So once we settled on the road crew, the rest was easy. It was just 24 hours a day work. You know, that was the only drawback. But we were all working for a common cause to make this band, to have this band make it and to be part of it, and we would get our rewards in the end. So they told us. You know, the famous rock and roll cliche, the checks in the mail. Well, we've been waiting 35 years (laughs) and still haven't gotten the damn (laughs) check. But I move around a lot, so. (laughs) Right. No. So that's how I got started.
3: Out of the four members of KISS, was there anyone that you, like, took two more or maybe had a better relationship than the others? Oh, Peter, Peter and I were like brothers. Uh, we looked alike. We looked similar.
5: Uh, he was maybe an inch and a half taller than me. I mean, Peter and I were like brothers. Uh, we became best friends. Uh, I was engaged to his wife Lydia's best friend. That, uh, yeah, it was you know, it was me and Peter together all the time. I mean, if he did hang out with anybody in the band, in the beginning it was Paul, and towards the end, of course, it was Ace. But Ace was very aloof in the beginning. He didn't want to make any friends with anybody that had anything to do with Kiss. He now- wanted to remain friends with his kids that he grew up with.
3: Wow, that's a very interesting story right Yeah,
5: he, he didn't want to lose that. Plus, he didn't have anything in common with uh, Gene or Paul. Ace loved his liquor. Peter liked to go the other way. So other than them both being bad boys, your bad boy choices were, were different until later on. But, uh, no, uh, I went to all kinds of family functions with Peter, uh, to his brother's weddings, to uh, vacations, to, you know. And this is when they were still living in their little cramped apartment in Brooklyn, that all this started happening. And like I said, we just became like best of friends and brothers. He would come to Houston to get away and would hang out at my family's house. All well, the towns in New York Well I have to run to my mother's to do this or do that He and I would just jump in the car and go And Paul and I were close
3: But Paul has completely changed now I mean completely it, it was kind of like Ace felt like He wasn't really part of the band originally Or he just kind of Kept no, to himself he was, or?
5: Yeah he was part of the band But he didn't want the band to be together 24 hours a day He had all of his old friends And he was determined to keep those friends because they liked him for who he was and not what he was about to become. In those early stages of being on the road, you don't know. The lines are blurred. You know, are they my friends? Or they want to be my friends just because of this? Well, of course, just because of this house, would they get to know who you are or whatever? He, he just wanted to remain true to himself, you know. And Ace was a sweetheart of a guy. He still is. Whenever he comes through Boston, uh, he'll send me an email. As soon as he or Carol, his manager, find out that they're coming through Boston, he'll send me an email, tell me where to go to pick up my uh, backstage all access passes or whatever. And the same way with Gene with Kiss, Gene gives me anything and everything I need, no questions asked. Ace is the same way.
3: Is Gene still sending you stuff or still? uh... Oh yeah,
5: oh we correspond. Oh yeah, yeah we 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 still correspond often, uh, maybe once every. Two, three months. You know, that's pretty good for two little guys just turned 60. <laughs> now, that's what's unbelievable.
3: Well, that's it's unbelievable just... that any of us are still here, right?
5: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, you know.
3: Now, you mentioned Jesus Gene. What, what, what was he like as a young man? Gene was. When I say what was Gene like as a young man, I mean before he became the demon, before he became the rock star. Oh, yeah. Because I've always felt that he lives inside that character. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that the real Gene kind of uses that character to get what he wants. Oh,
5: absolutely. That's his stepping stone. He'll be the first to tell you. My name and my face recognition gets me in the door. Once I'm in the door, it's up to me to produce. You know, to come up with the goods. But as a young man, Gene's time was spent between two things writing music getting made <laughs> and those were the two most important things with music being number one
3: so so music always took a priority to girls yeah music was a way to get the girls okay because he's no prince charming right well that <laughs> yeah. that kind of goes back to like he used the demon character to make all his dreams come true in that absolutely. same way he used the music to get to the girls absolutely
5: Absolutely, and he'll be the first to tell you that. Now, what was Uh, it like
3: to travel with them?
5: Well, what had happened was, and Peter and Ace were fucking clueless to it. I mean, clueless. After about two weeks on the very first tour on the road, I asked Peter one time, I said, Peter, I said, why is it, you know, it's always been Gene and Paul and Peter and Ace. Why is it that Gene and Paul don't room together? And you and Ace room together, you know, that would make sense. And, uh, Peter goes, well, I don't know, I guess Gene feels more comfortable with Paul, Paul feels more comfortable with Gene, blah, 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 and that's the way it, it ended up. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you got this completely wrong. Growing up in Houston, some of my best friends, well, Billy Gibbons and I were at the same high school, at the same grade, you know, and, uh... ZZ went through it in the beginning stages, keeping Dusty and Frank separated. Well, I pointed that out to Peter and told him that the only reason why you have Paul as a roommate and not Ace is because they want to keep an eye out on you and Ace. They want to make sure you aren't getting high or this or that. There's spies in your room. That's the only reason why you have Paul and Ace has Gene as a roommate, because they're keeping an eye on you. They know if you're together, all hell will break loose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter finally called on to it. He goes, you know, I, I think you're right.
3: <laughs> I said, yeah, I think so. You had the early Kiss albums, which had more like a rock and roll, hard rock kind of thing. And then you Mm -hmm. had the Alive album. But then after that came Destroyer. It was a whole nother level. And we spoke to JR about he played some drums on some of the demos and everything. But they had to basically impress Bob Ezrin to get them to work with them, correct? Yes, yes. After that, Destroyer was a game changer for the band. Right. And it changed the band as well. Yep. For example, this was, was the Bob first.
2: Ezrin.
3: Yeah, and it, this was the first time that, for example, uh, it wasn't so important that it was the four guys that played on every track, or right. you know. And it seemed like Bob Ezrin was trying to build a moment for each band member. For example, "God of Thunder" for Gene, "Do You Love Me" for Paul, Beth for Peter, and it seemed like nothing really happened for Ace. Yeah. Um, now we mentioned the Peter Chris. Uh, situation with Beth. Right. How, how did Beth affect the band in good ways and in bad ways?
5: In good ways, it brought them a whole new audience. In bad ways, a lot of their core audience hated it. The fact that they had the ballad on, you know, in their repertoire now—the <laughs> power ballad—which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I know uh, Dream On uh, came out first it did nothing uh it was the second release of um, of that song is when Aerosmith Aerosmith started making it with Dream On but uh, pretty much that was the uh every rock band had a um a power ballad at the time and i think it's primarily due to uh to those two songs But I don't know what the deal was. I know Ace was getting loaded. He didn't like
3: uh, Bob Ezrin's approach. Before you had the primary songwriters were Gene and Paul with Bits From Ace. And all of a sudden here comes this track that Peter brought to the the band and Bob Ezrin worked it over. And now Peter's dynamic in the band was, was much larger. His, his role oh, in the yeah. band was much larger. How did that affect the attitudes between Gene and Paul or Pete and Ace and everybody? How did that affect everything?
5: Well, I'll tell you the truth. And, Tim, uh, this is the God's honest truth. Peter, I love him to death, but he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. you know what I'm saying? I would be really surprised if Peter wrote four or more words to death. The song was completely reworked by Paul first, then by Bob Ezrin. And Peter, with his beautiful voice, is what clinched the song. You could feel the pain and the hurt and the anguish, you know, just coming through
3: in his voice. He definitely brought it to life.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. And Gene and Paul, you know, and Ace was, you know, patting on the back. Great job, Pete, great job. Uh, whereas Gene and Paul would be snickering going, he didn't write that damn song. That's just like in the very beginning, Ace, uh, Paul's telling me about cold gin. He goes, I gave uh, Ace cold gin. He said he brought it to me. And he said I think the only words I used was uh Something about a liquor store and the lights will rob you and uh, cold gin time again. Because you know, and I wrote the rest. To be a friend, I gave the song to Ace, telling him, here, it's your song, you brought the idea, I just tweaked it. That's why Ace gets solo credit uh, for that song, for cold gin. And But, you know, it was just Snickers on Gene and Paul's part, like, Peter didn't write this song. But, you know, we got to keep peace in the band and make them feel they're worse. So, yeah, it's a throwaway track. We'll let them put it on the album. <laughs> little and, did
3: they know. <laughs> yeah, little did anyone know that it was going <laughs> to Exactly. Gonna, yeah. Exactly. Now, do you feel that uh, Gene and Paul it? like, for example, in the in the model of the Beatles that... You know, there was the four Beatles, and each one of them contributed. Do you think that early on was part of the template?
5: I believe so. Um, especially they wanted the four the four of them singing, which finally H got over a stage fright and began uh, singing and doing, you know. And uh, I think once that happened, it rounded the band out. And it turned out great. I mean, I remember in the beginning, Ace, to record, Ace would be lying on the floor, and we would just lower the mic to right above his head while he's lying on the floor singing his lyrics to his song. That was the best way to get his voice, to capture his voice, if he was lying down, Strangely enough. And J.R. and I manning the stage, like I was saying earlier, was we were privy to all this stuff, to the fights that were going on during Paul's 100,000 years, always between Peter and Gene. The arguments and all the laughter and everything was during Paul's 100,000 years. That's when uh, Ace would walk behind the amps, Peter would get down off the drums, Gene would walk back around, and we would all meet at my spot at the drum riser and because uh, I took care of Peter. I was Peter's guy. Anyway, we were privy to all that kind of good stuff. When they rocked, boy, Jr. and I would, every single night, we got to hear those early songs. And then, I'll never forget, it was the first couple of nights that we did Christine 16. And Jr. and I looked at each other, shook our heads, and went, I don't know, if we keep going in this direction, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here because we hated those songs. They were bubblegum. They were for the kiddies. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about rock and roll. It wasn't about any of that anymore. It was all about selling records and getting rich and famous. They wanted uh, fame and fortune. That's what they've got now. Uh,
3: Now, you mentioned that there'd be an argument or laughter during Uh 100,000 years would be playing, and they would get together what would be the bone of contention what would be a reason for
5: strike oh let's see peter was playing too fast wasn't keeping the tempo when you were dragging here you were dragging there and gene's going peter's going yeah well meanwhile while you're trying to fucking fly through the air and missing every note i've got to follow paul who is probably the worst guitar player i ever played with in my life and uh and i've got to follow him so you know Either play the music or front and front of the camera, whatever you want to do. But don't get on me about, you know, dragging the beat or dragging the time because you're too interested in, in you know, mugging for the cameras and mugging for the people. And that's you know, so those those are the little things that arguments. It was generally about keeping time.
3: Now would Ace get on Pete about keeping
5: time? Oh, never. Never Uh uh-uh, Ace is true, he's in his own world, (laughs) in fact, he's much better now, much better, Ace was always, was cool, always loved Ace, but now that he's come through the other end, I mean, it is just, I mean, I can't tell you, when I see Ace, or even uh, when I saw Peter on um, Eddie Trunk's show uh, a couple of weeks ago, just seeing him walk out there smiling and being happy. I mean, I had a grin from ear to ear all day long on my face, just because my buddy went through all of this mess and came out the other side uh, and can live and tell about it. And that's the kind of, you know, joy that I get from seeing the band now. Gene flew me out August 2009, Labor Day weekend 2009. Um, just did a one-off in Vegas at the um, at the Palms Casino. The reason why we they did that show is because Paul had just bought the top floor of the Palms and turned it into a, a penthouse with 360 degree angle or 360 degree view of uh, all of Vegas. That's where Paul has his second home now. So, as a favor to the Palms for letting him do all this stuff, uh, Kiss did this show. Gene flew me out and um, had me top notch everything, put me up at the Bellagio, had a car, this, that, everything. So, I invited JR to come, but his kid was starting school the next day, the day after Labor Day, so <clears throat> he couldn't make it. But anyway, that was no, that was like the first time that I had seen Paul twenty years, and he was just you know playing the rock star still, <laughs> and um, and Gene had uh, uh, had Shannon and the kids there, and uh, I sat with them on the on stage right and watched the show. So no, Gene is treating me, you know, I couldn't be asked to be treated any better really shown his colors on that one.
3: Well, that's excellent.
5: I mean, Gene and I, on, I remember when he was writing material that wound up on the rock and roll over the holo album. And he would come out uh, on the bus sometimes, and there was a stretch where it was about a week. He uh, rode with us on the bus. Everybody would be in there getting their sleep in their rack except Regina and I, and we would be up front, and he would have his guitar, I'd have mine, and uh, there were three or four songs that we wrote together in those buses that showed up on either Destroyer, solo album, rock and roll over. So we, we did all of that stuff. And like I say, I would completely floored when a new album would come out, uh, just especially after, I would say, around 77, rock and roll over. I was already gone by then. To see these albums, put them on the stereo when the album came out, when the record came out, and play it, and you hear this riff that you made up and was planned. that was the cuts of the song, and boom, here it is. I want to right. thank
3: you for being part of uh, our show, and it is a real honor to talk to you and JR, part of the original road crew, and we hope to have you back on the show in the future.
5: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and um, hopefully we can do it again at different places, and uh, uh, friendship can develop out of all
3: of this. That'd, that be be wonderful. That'd be Same fantastic. That'd be fantastic. All right, Mick. Well, thank you much. All right. And it was a thank real you. pleasure to, to talk yeah. to you. Same here. All right. God bless. Okay, Kim. Take care, buddy. Talk to you in the future. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
1: If you enjoyed those two interviews, don't forget that Mick and J.R. will be appearing at the Rock and Roll Carnival on March 13th in Charlotte, along with the band Clown, who should be here shortly. They got a new album out and... Oh, hang on. Let me get that. Ah, the caller ID says it's Dirty D. I wonder what she wants.
0: Uh, guys, it's Dirty D. Hey, D, what's up? I'm down in Admiral's laboratory, and there's a bunch of clowns going crazy down here, breaking stuff, making a mess. Uh, they're on their way upstairs now to see you. Uh,
1: guys, maybe we should... Hey, wait a minute, you can't just... Ah! Oh! ah! ah!
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Testing one two three four. Oh, the... hey, is this thing on? Is this thing on? <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam. <man. laughs> How you doing,
4: people? <laughs> we are not conducting a test of the emergency <laughs> podcast system. Uh-huh. This is an actual uh-huh. emergency. <laughs> So everybody listening right now better hold on tight and get ready to ride the Rock and Roll Roller Coaster <laughs> because you are now listening to oh Pod Clown. Oh all time.
0: clown, all oh the time. time. <laughs> 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 Hello, this is Pyro, I'm
4: Astro, I'm Crisco, and I'm Maestro, and we're here to rock you, sock you, and rock around the clock you, we're gonna shake, rattle, and rock and roll over, we're gonna take a ride on the rock and roll merry-go-round, and before it's all said and done, you'll be down with the clown, so as they say where we come from, welcome to the show, the first thing we want to do is tell you a little bit about Clown. So, where's those interview questions, them guys were going to ask us? Where are they at? I know they're out here somewhere. Somebody help me find them. Oh, hey, wait a minute,
0: wait a minute. I got them, I got them.
4: Here they are, here they are. Okay, okay. Pyro, Clown has out a brand new CD called Clown Alive 2. I hear it's possibly the greatest CD of all time. Tell us a little bit more about it, Pyro.
0: Tell us about Clown Alive
4: 2. What's up with that?
0: Well, we wanted to make an album, unlike any album, that any band had ever made before. Ever. 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 So we went into the clown Vault, and we came out with 19 tracks of rock and roll Perfection. perfection. I mean, it's got a sticker in it. It's got a sticker in it. It's got a trading card. It's got a card. It's got a, it's got a it pick in it. it. It's got a guitar. Oh, and man. a special clown surprise.
4: Can we tell them?
0: It's a surprise. It's got a clown tattoo. <laughs> and there's something <laughs> else, in it, <laughs> <What> else <is laughs> in it, What else is in it?
4: What uh, else is in it? I know what's in it. What
0: is it? What's in it? What's in it? It's got a CD in it. Oh! A CD! a CD in it! It's got a CD in it! And you can buy this CD for $10 US, $16 world! $10 US, $16 world! $10 US, $16 world!
4: That's
0: only $10 US, $16 world! And you can order your copy
4: at myspace.com forward slash clown.
0: That, that's myspace.com forward slash
4: CD contains ticker, big trading card, and a special grand surprise. If you're will do it. You call your doctor You're not available. You're supposed to be next kind of a like a good cd so why don't we shut up and let the music do the talking all right people so now we're gonna do something special we're gonna let the fans decide what song they want to hear so tell me people what song
0: is it you want to hear i can't hear you um, I can't hear you.
4: Excuse me. Hey, 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 come out. I can't hey, dumbass, hear hey, you. Hey, nobody can hear you. You can't hear anybody. You're on the internet. internet. Ha <laughs> You're so
0: stupid.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I tell you what, people. I tell you what. Well, all right. Then what are we waiting for? I tell you, it looks like we're gonna have ourselves. A psycho circus tonight!
0: Hold the applause. That was crap. That was crap. Hey, I've got a question from Aestro. What? What do you want to know? What'd you do with the money? What money? The money your mama gave you for singing lessons. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Right. Yeah, you want to hear something with some real vocal ability here. i got one for you. What
4: is it? What's it called? Who sings it? I'll give you a hint.
2: <laughs> What
0: I wish Astro would do because he smells like cheap buck and corned beef hash. Just <laughs> right, get Getaway!
1: That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>
4: surprise for you tonight?
0: What's that, Astro's drunk again?
4: I said a surprise!
0: <laughs> oh,
1: listen, listen, guys, listen, listen, listen. This is ridiculous. What song are you gonna play, Astro? Listen, 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 listen. If, I, if I could just have the mic for one second. Okay? Don't okay. give it to him, he'll drink it! Right. The,
0: uh, He's
1: gonna drink the mic! Uh, uh, drink I, I, I actually, when I sat down to, to write this song, You
0: were drunk! Uh, well,
1: no, no, I was thinking about the Great Wide Open. I no, yo, you uh, were drunk! Uh, no. no, no, no. I was I was, was thinking drunk. about going up on a rocket ship, you possibly. You uh, Seeing the stars. Uh, no. Oh. You were drunk. no, no, no. I wasn't drunk at all. Yes, you
0: are. I was, were. I was trying to. You, know, <laughs> you were drinking a little bit of alcohol. No,
1: no, 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 no. i not thinking no. about drinking. Oh, no. Goodness <laughs> gracious, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is despicable. Uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> th- anyway, uh, this, I want to dedicate this song to my, to my girlfriend, Cheeto. Who uh, is the inspiration for this little little bit, uh, which I'd like to call uh, "Rocket Ride"? Yay!
0: Enough! That's That's enough. enough. Stop, it. Stop, Stop it! Shut up! Shut up. Be, quiet. be quiet! Come on, guys! Come on, guys. Quit, it. Quit
4: it! I'm stupid.
0: We know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you had half a brain, you'd have Stop half a brain. Yeah, come I on, that out by hey. now. Come on. Hey. I might be stupid, but I know what time it is. What time is it? It's kissing time.
4: MySpace.com forward slash clown. That's MySpace.com forward slash K-L-O-W-N. All right then, people. Okay. uh, We'd like to apologize for uh, your regular hosts not being here today. They must have been all tied up. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, we're sorry. We're sorry. The joke's sorry, over. The joke's over. Let, so him go. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Get, him up. get him up. Untie. So untie. Sorry. Untie. I untie. I untie. Take off the tape. Take off the duct. <laughs> Who glued him to the floor? Oh, now. <laughs> well, that's going to leave a mark. mark. All right. Now, listen, people. It's time for us to get on out of here. We're going to go outside, get in our clown car, and head on down the road because we're getting ready to go to Kiss Coffee House Presents, the Rock and Roll Carnival in Charlotte, North Carolina, Saturday, March 13th at 3 p.m. For more information, go to MySpace.com forward slash Rock and Roll Carnival. That's MySpace.com forward slash R-O-C-K-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-C-A-R-N-I-V-A-L. Rock and Roll Carnival, baby. You better be there. We're going to be there. If you live near Charlotte, North Carolina, and you call yourself a self-respecting kids fan, and you are not at this event, shame, shame, shame on you. Girl, It's only $10 to get in the door, only $10. If you want to spend a little bit more, we also have VIP tickets available. We got one for 25, one for 45. Go to the website and find out all about that. We got a great day of rock and roll schedule for you. We got live tribute bands. We got a Kiss tribute band called Clown. I hear they're pretty good, they're all right. We got an all-girl ACDC tribute band called Backstreet Confidential. We got a Ramones tribute band called Too Tough to Die. We're gonna have ourselves a rock and roll flea market too. We got dealers coming from all over the southeast. They're going to be selling Kiss merchandise, rock and roll, heavy metal, horror, comic books, clothing and accessories. They're going to be selling CDs, DVDs, vinyl LPs. We're going to have a little bit of everything. So come on down, bring your wallet, come on in, and stay with us for a little while. We got our very special guest coming in to talk to you. We got Mr. J.R. Smalling and Mr. Mick Kempis, the original Kiss Road crew. They got all kind of great stories to tell you about life on the road with KISS and they're coming to Charlotte, North Carolina and they're going to tell them to you. So you better be there and you better be ready. And if that wasn't enough, after the Rock and Roll Carnival is through, we're going to keep things going all night long with the Rock and Roll Carnival After Party. We got a stand-up comedian named Joe Phoenix coming in. He's going to make you laugh. Then Charlotte Horror Rockers, the Graveyard Boulevard, are going to crank it up and keep the party going all night Loud. So come on out. Saturday, March 13th, Tremont Music Hall. Kids Coffee House presents the rock and, rock and Roll Carnival. MySpace.com forward slash Rock and Roll Carnival. MySpace.com forward slash Rock and Roll Carnival. Come on out and get ready to rock and roll. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. We love you. Good night.
1: Thanks to Clown for beating us up and tying us up and duct-taping our mouths and gluing us to the floor and whatnot. Ken, James, how are your wounds healing?
3: Uh, I guess I'll survive.
1: I I think I need
3: some medical attention fairly quickly.
1: Well, while we wait for the ambulance to get here, I'll say thanks for supporting us through 30 podcast installments, and stick around because we plan to do a lot more cool stuff. See you next time.
3: On podcast
1: 31. Guys, I think I'm going to pass out. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkissed.com. If uh, you have any suggestions, comments, or just want to talk to us, drop us a line at podkissed at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com. For all you white zombie fans, it's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. Our good buddy Ken at his website, which is called kissfansite.com. Thanks for all you do for the podcast, your great graphics.
0: If you have a Kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh,
1: possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Crisp, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night.
4: This concludes this
0: episode of the Podclown Broadcasting System. Those stupid, silly shenanigans you just heard were certainly stupid and silly. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast programs. So long, sayonara, and buenos dias.
4: Somebody's smoking some Swiss sweets.
0: I smell them.